Father in heaven, we're thankful today we can just come together, we can study together. We're thankful for the uh, setting that we can be in. We pray for those that are struggling with fires here in California, uh, that you would draw near to them, you, you would uh, put the fires out, would light a fire in their heart though. This would remind them of their, their need of you. And we thank you and we come in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, you know, I love going to WYC and SEYC and GYC and Element OP and QRS and TUV. Truthfully, I like, I really enjoy the uh, being with uh, people like you. And uh, I, I feel it a privilege and a responsibility to be able to, to talk about this subject that we're going to talk about. And we're going to kind of look at some, some things in Adventist history and then go back uh, to the future, so to speak, looking back and then forward. Um, and we're going to use a text to kind of guide us in terms of our subjects. And you might want to look at that text with me in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, we have a text that's repeated again. In Matthew 9:35, and it's kind of like a text that's going to guide our different presentations. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Matthew 4:23 says, "Now Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people." So. <laughs> This is an uh, interesting text. It tells us w where Jesus was, what He was doing, and uh, then what happened as a result of the next verse. Then His fame went throughout Syria, and they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and He healed them. So, uh, a powerful text telling us you know, exactly what, what Jesus did. Um, but before we come back to that text, which we will, it's going to provide us a, kind of a framework. I wanted to just talk about uh, two students, and two students that um, were students from Battle Creek, Battle Creek College, way back in 1891. And they were having this conversation, which of course the word conversation is interesting. It's the root word um, Conversion is what it comes from. When we talk to one another, we kind of can convert each other to the way we're thinking, or we might <laughs> we might make someone, uh, you know, turn away, convert them to the opposite, depending on how we talk. So I'm going to talk a little more about those particulars of the conversation in a minute. But these two people, Percy McGann and E. A. Sutherland, were. Um, we're talking together. Now later on these men would become key leaders um, at, at the College of Medical Evangelists, that being Loma Linda. And uh, Edward Sutherland would be the president, first president of, you know, ASI. He would be the president of Madison College. Now um, they uh, they had this conversation, and I, I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute, but the conclusion of their conversation I thought was, was interesting. It was, it was actually quite radical, and maybe even seen as unwise, um, and, and dangerous, um, which uh, is something that young people I think would be interested in, radical, unwise, and dangerous. Maybe not you guys, but most young people. So. This was their radical conclusion they came to. They decided and declared. Are you ready for this? I'm glad you're on padded seats. Um, they, said, they said this. They said that they wanted to, and I quote, follow the Bible and spirit of prophecy explicitly in their lives and ministries. Does that sound radical? Amen. Extreme? That's what they decided. Now you might be might be thinking, and I hope you are. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, I think most people should believe that, or at least, uh, you know, I I think that most people did believe that back then. However, unfortunate as it may seem, it was not so basic. 
even back then as far as the spirit of prophecy was concerned. Because back then you see, according to the historians of the period, and I quote from Warren Ashworth who wrote a, his dissertation on Edward Sutherland, he said this, It was common belief among Adventists that the messages written by Mrs. White and the testimonies were only for the people to whom they were specifically addressed. Uh, so they look at it and they say, oh, that's, that's great. That's a great message because it's not for me. And they would, uh, they would say, you know, uh, that, we don't need to listen to that. That's to Don or to Tim or to Melissa. It's not to, to us. So as a result, many took a dismissive approach to the testimonies, or at least we could say a cafeteria approach where, you know, they would select this or select that. Um, and long before the book titled Selected Messages was thought of, many were already creating their own. They were selecting the messages they wanted to hear. Now, as you might imagine, the simple decision that they made to follow the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy explicitly was bound to cause conflict, and it did. How many of you are familiar with any of that kind of conflict? Hmm. Uh, no one's raising their hand, but I hope that you are listening on the tapes, raising your hands. From Walla Walla to Battle Creek and from Battle Creek to Berrien Springs, people, people really took issue with the t simple stand and the implications made by these two young men. Finally, after exhausting every opportunity, their circumstance that was being without a job in McGann's case, without a wife as she had died under the strain, um, well, uh, without a job in Sutherland's case and without a wife in McGann's case, they came to this circumstance. It opened up a unique and radical opportunity for them to experiment in doing something uh, very radical, and that would be forming a school on the basis of their same principle of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. So, even though there were many detractors, uh, some in very high places, there were also people who gave strong support. And one of them had the last name of White, which helped. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk more about that in the second section here. Um, this is the first section. The second section I want to talk about, this first one I want to talk about restoration, that is health. Second one, education. Third one, adoration. And the fourth one, proclamation. But they were going to start this school. Now, uh, White believed that the role of the new school, that is Madison, and by extension, um, all such work uh, was to complement and even challenge the Laodicean status quo. Um, and the challenge was simply to follow the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. You're not Laodicean if you follow the Bible in the spirit of prophecy explicitly. Now if you, if you choose not to, <laughs> then you're, you're fulfilling prophecy nonetheless. <laughs> So there was another ASI member uh, long before Sutherland began who had similar views. Now you may be familiar with this guy. He, he wasn't probably a member, he didn't have a name tag, but now he does. Um, he would say things like, it is written. You know, you, have you heard of this guy? This was not George Vandeman or Mark Finley. It wasn't Sean Boonstra, but this guy said, it is written. How many of you heard of him? And he'd say things like, how readest thou? Uh, or like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Um, so, when he said, you have heard it said, what does that mean? He would point back to what had been written, and then he would say, but I say to you, which is what? That's like current, right? It is written, that's the Bible, but I say to you, that's like fresh. So, it's kind of like the testimony, the testimony of Jesus, or the spirit of prophecy. <laughs> right? You have heard it said, but I say to you. So long before there was Sutherland again, he had decided, this, this person had decided to follow the Bible and the spirit of prophecy explicitly. And his one desire was to, was to do that. To, he wanted to lead people to something better. Right? That's the name of our conference. Is that the name of the conference? It says, it says we, we want something better. And we want something better now. And he turned the world upside down in one generation. Or at least his stance did that. 
And there's one text that we've already seen that aptly summarized how he moved, and that was Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. But I like 935. Look at Matthew 935 as well. And uh, I think if we fully adopted this text as a WYC, um, it would equip us to effectively share Christ in the marketplace and in our scholastic and academic pursuits. And uh, I think that really, if we really, really adopted it, our, less, our, our next GYC or WYC conference would last about a thousand years. Um, I've got some biblical proof. I've got questions about that. So, this text, and Jesus, Matthew 9.35, went about all the cities and villages. You know, in Matthew 4.23 it says he first of all was in Samaria and Judea. But now he's going to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So, he went to all, about all the cities and the villages. Now, that's, that's missions. How many of you are interested in being a missionary? Uh, and is there any place that doesn't need to be reached? No. So, going everywhere. But notice uh, the last three words. He healed every sickness and disease among the people. So, even though he went around the world, he also went across the street. Around the world and across the street. That's a pretty good motto. I heard... Uh, a uh, professor of mine long ago used it. His name was Gottfried Oosterwald, and he, he loved that little phrase, around the world and across the street. So I'm excited that this conference we're actually going to go across the street, Colfax, um, and then get on planes and go around the world. So around the world and across the street. So how, how, how were they going to do this? What was their methodology? And, uh, you know, today there's just all kinds of methods that people will say is okay. Well, you know, if you want to get people to come to church, you know, bring in some drums. That'll get the people there. I, I happen to agree with that. That's why I brought my two drums with me, my eardrums, and you did as well. Uh, and, you know, there's just, uh, there's all kinds of methods out there, but I think the methods here in this text are probably the best. Teaching, preaching, and healing. How many think that's good? Uh, education, proclamation, restoration. Um, and, and we might add a fourth, adoration. So, you know, that's kind of what we're working on here. Restoration, e, R, education, E, adoration, A, and proclamation, P. And in Revelation 14, 15, immediately after the three, three angels' messages, in Revelation 14, 15, you know what it says? Well, I have it printed here, but it's also in my Bible. If you want to look at yours, Revelation 14, 15, this is what it says right after that countdown. Three, two, one, liftoff, you know, just before everyone goes. First angel, second angel, third angel. Whoosh. Everyone's going to go, right? He's going to come, we're going to go. Notice what it says, verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud saying, Thrust in your sickle and reap, R-E-A-P, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So, I, the reason I like that acronym is it kind of reminded me of that text, you know. How many think we're living in the time of the harvest? And God wants to harvest some ripe characters for the kingdom. So, we need to have something to reap. We, if there's something to be reaped, we need those are going to reap, rather. We need laborers. Um, look at Matthew 9.35 again, but then just go forward just to, to verse 37. Matthew 9.37. Um, it's interesting to me that right after that, that text where it says he went everywhere healing and all those different things that we just read, look at verse 37. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are Few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Interesting. So, there was a problem in Jesus' day. What was the problem? There was a harvest, uh, but what was the problem? No laborers. Does that sound like a familiar problem? There was the laborers that had become self-absorbed. Selfish, 
And as a result, the world was suffering, not just spiritually, but emotionally and physically. Now, I happen to think that, now this is going to sound kind of radical, that m most of the things we do are pretty selfish. Um, now, I hate to include you in that, but, uh, you know, most of the things we do can be pretty selfish. Um, you know, even talking up front can be selfish. Even uh, presenting things can be selfish. Uh, my wife pointed that out the other day to me. <laughs> she said, oh, it's really nice that you're presenting for two days in a row here, and that's good for you. And I was like, which means I need to be spending a little more time. You understand what that means? Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, we can be pretty selfish. Can education be pretty selfish? Well, what are you taking? Oh, I'm taking this. Why are you taking that? Because I want to do this and I want to do that. It's pretty selfish, right? You know? Can it be? Yes. Right? Even the institution you go to can be pretty selfish. Like, we want you to do well because we care about us. <laughs> you know, it, it almost sounds like they care about you, but, you know, <laughs> they don't. So, sometimes. So, you understand what I mean? It can be pretty self. Am I right? Yeah, we're glad you're doing so well. <laughs> so, it's a problem, right? But Jesus, you know, um, notice what it says, verse 36, we missed it. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So instead of being motivated by himself, he was motivated by what? He was moved by those that had great needs. So he had compassion on the multitudes who were not receiving proper protection, not receiving proper direction, and were not in the right connection with him. And he wanted to bring a restoration so he could share education, bring them to the place where they respond in adoration and join him in proclamation. So, you can see then, look at verse, chapter 10, verse 1, which of these things, restoration, education, adoration, proclamation, was his first priority? Verse 1, and he went and when he had called, rather, verse 1 of chapter 10, the 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So, what was the first thing that he did? It was uh, restoration, which is the name of a ministry I heard of recently. Restoration. Um... And, and, and he called his 12 disciples to him to have that kind of power. So you could say he started the first WYC. He started the first ASI. He equipped and empowered the laity uh, in, in the area of restoration. First, in other words, in the area of restoring health, physically, mentally, or spiritually. Now, before things get a little too heavy here this morning... Maybe we should stop for a little sandwich. How many of you like sandwiches? You like sandwiches? How many of you would rather have a burrito? All right, we'll have a burrito. But here in Matthew, like I've already noted, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a burger, a veggie burger, because you have that text Matthew four twenty three and nine thirty five, right? That's like the two whole wheat buns. Are you with me? Are you getting hungry, or did you already eat this morning? And you see, Matthew 9.35 and 4.20, they're kind of bookends. And right in between those two bookends, you have, um, you have the main fixings. Right between the two burger buns, you have some real heavy meat, so to speak. What's it called? The Sermon on the Mount. And then you have something else in between those two as well. You have, uh, you have a bunch of miracles. So you have the Word of God, Sermon on the Mount, and you have the, uh, the wonders of God. That is the miracles, you know. You have a leper being healed, a centurion's servant being 
healed, Peter's mother-in-law's fever being taken away, a demon-possessed person being uh, released from the demon. You have two demoniacs that are cleansed and the pigs are put on hold. <laughs> You've got um, a ruler's daughter who died and comes back to life. You have a woman with an issue of blood who's healed by touching the hem of a garment. You have two blind men are healed as a result of belief. And you have a demon-possessed dumb man who becomes undemon-possessed and undumb. Those are the wonders. So the words of God then leads to the wonders of God. How many think that's pretty good? And it's in between these two, these two bookends. So um, it's not just the wonders. Sometimes people today are driven by wonders. They say, look, I just want to have the miracles. <laughs> right? I want Benny Hen to just lay the eggs. But I don't want the chicken. <laughs> you know, I don't want the other thing. I just, I just want the miracles. And if you get involved in that kind of religion, you're going to get confused. Yes or no? And then there's others that say, I just want the Word. Just the Word. I just want the Word. And uh, uh, don't show any emotion or passion or anything like that because that's wrong. Uh, and those kind of people are very, very hard to be around. And... They're hard-boiled eggs, so to speak. So, um, I think we need both. How many think that's true? You need the Word and the wonders in your life. Have you had any miracles in your life recently as a result of what the Word did? I like uh, John 14, 12. It says, Greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father. I think there's I think that when we fully believe the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, at the end of time, God's people are going to have the spirit descend on them like Pastor Bachelor talked about last night in Holy Spirit power. And it's only when they truly are in the Word that He can do the wonders through them. And it's only when they truly say, I want to explicitly follow the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. So, you know, does anyone remember that conversation I said I'd return to between those two people? How many remember that? Only a couple. Well, good. N let me go back to that conversation. That conversation between McGann and Sutherland, the one in which McGann convinced Sutherland that the principles given in the testimonies were applicable to everyone. One in which they both agreed that they would Follow the Bible and prophecy and the spirit of prophecy explicitly. Now, does anyone have an idea as to what that conversation was about way back there? They were at a conference, actually, that was trying to apply the principles of 1888 to education. So they were, uh, I think that's what it was. Right? And so they were, they were wanting to apply this new righteousness by faith, or should we say renewed emphasis on righteousness by faith, because Ellen and James White said, you know, We've talked about that since we began. But they were trying to see how that applied. And this was a conversation they were having, all right? It was about, I quote, catching and eating fish in relation to the Testimonies Councils on Diet. And it was at this time that Sutherland, as a result of this conversation, became a vegetarian. And he was the first, it was the first of the reforms that he incorporated into his own personal life and into the schools of which he was a part. So here they're having this discussion about the catch of the day. And uh, McGann, you know, was, was confronting him and saying, you know, what about this? You know, most people say, oh, that's for someone else. You know, that's not for me. And then he says, no, it's for you. And there they were, the two young men, and they decided, well, yes, we'll, we'll follow that. Now, of course... Um, he was going to be labeled as a fanatic by many in his day, and I'm sure he would be called the same today. But interestingly enough, he wasn't called a fanatic by the students he began to teach. The WIC students of the day, they thought he was pretty cool. <laughs> and, and neither did this other guy named uh, uh, J.H.K., John Harvey Kellogg. This was before he had kind of frosted his flakes. He was... Uh, 
He was going to have serious problems later, but Tony the Tiger had not arrived. And, um, and, and this guy really liked what he was saying as well, you know, because Kellogg was kind of sick of the ministers. He didn't, the ministers, he thought the ministers were sinister ministers and pastors of disaster because they, they were always wanting to do the wrong thing. It just never seemed to fail in terms of health. They would go into the Battle Creek Sanitarium and the, all the clients were there and they were all eating the nuttose and the, uh, you know, silk milk, the, uh, you know, soy joy, fake steak, sham ham, funny baloney. And they were all eating that stuff and uh, they were loving it. But the ministers would come in and there was this little window on the side of the cafeteria and they would go up to the little window and they would order what was not on the main menu. You know, they'd order the catch of the day, steak, especially uh, A.G. Daniels seemed to have a problem with this. Um, and uh, he just, you know, <laughs> he would demand his steak. Um, Got some interesting correspondence on that recently. So, um, Kellogg liked this guy because finally here's a guy that understands health. Restoration, right? But the others, they, you know, they were going to say they were weird. So, he would have these Bible studies in these schools. First of all, Walla Walla, which that's not redundant. That's what it actually is named. Walla Walla, same word twice. And he would need these Bible studies like on Genesis and portions of Exodus. And the, and, and the students would become convinced just by reading the text that they should become vegetarians. And then the students themselves petitioned to have meat removed from the menu at the school. This was his first reform. And it was led by the students, the WYC students. But really it was led by the Bible. Amen. But it was really led by the Bible as it implicated McGann and Sutherland. And they hadn't, you know, so you get the idea. In 1892, Sutherland was asked to uh, go to Walla Walla and on the basis of inspiration to operate, he decided to operate the cafeteria on the vegetarian plan. It was one of the first that happened. Now, why do I mention this? Well, it's because that one seemingly small conversation and personal reform would lead to many others. The elk is always in the acorn. And it laid the foundation as it did for the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 for faithfulness in other areas concerning the health message. And it was just on the basis of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. In other words, it's just on the basis of evidence, not demonstration. Right? So, at Madison College, later on, where he would be a president, on the basis of another conversation with Ellen White, um, there would be a sanitarium opened, and it would operate not just with financial ability, but also evangelistically. And later on, they thought it was so important what they had gotten into that even though they were 49 years old at the time, both of them went back to medical school, Sutherland and began. Got on their motorcycles and would drive to, to, to medical school. 49 years old. That just makes me feel so young. I'm not 49 yet, so that's why I'm so young. So, at Madison, again, as, the council, as a result of the council, you know, they would step out in faith and they would buy a health food factory in, in the Deep South. And later this company would be sold and would become known as Worthington Foods. They would, loan medic, they would loan money to Loma Linda. The institution became so successful that they loaned money to Loma Linda. It kept Loma Linda open, $50,000. And uh, they were considering closing the school at the very time when, when, uh, when they arrived. Three emissaries sent by Sutherland or McGann, I think it was Sutherland, and they arrived and they said, don't close the school. And it all happened because they had this, well, going way back, they had this little conversation, tiny conversation. How many of you want to have a tiny conversation maybe here this weekend? That commits yourself to following the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy explicitly. And why would you do that? Not because you think you can do it. But maybe the reason will be because you see the great grace of God and the love of God and the power of God. You go, wow, 
God, please do that in me. Amen? So, many of these, these institutions we have today that we talk about, that people write articles about, like Dan Butner and Blue Zones and all these different books and different things that are now profiling Adventists, they would never have existed if two people that were young people at your age wouldn't have said, we're going to just take what the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy says. There wouldn't be any Adventist health studies to point to. There wouldn't be any of that. But two people, young people, decided that. Institutions were formed. Even this institution is a result of that conversation in a small way. So I would just say, you know, Doug Basher was talking last night, and he said, mercy, he, he said, we need the latter rain. And I think we've had some drops of that in the Adventist church, but I think we need a downpour. So, um, one other thing, I want to end with four results of their faithfulness. There were four results of their faithfulness in the area of restoration. So, we've looked at the history, now what were the results? We started to look at the results, but four results. Number one, the first result was proof. Proof positive that's given uh, even today that gives you confidence as young people in the Advent movement. Um, you know, uh, I was talking to one of the physicians, uh, a physician that used to be a New Star physician. And during the 80s there was a, there was a teacher at a school that started to teach things that were confusing a lot of people. And uh, the only thing that kept this man faithful was because he was reviewing the literature, the medical literature, and saw how closely it matched with what Ellen White said. That proof kept him from buying the Ford, so to speak. <laughs> proof. Proof that gives this movement credibility. I was going to do a PowerPoint presentation called The Adventist Advantage that goes through a lot of that proof, but I'll give you a handout on it instead. How about that? And it just goes through a lot of that proof. Listen to Gary Fraser, the lead physician and statistician of Loma Linda at Loma Linda. This is what he says, What Adventists received more than 140 years ago was indeed a remarkable gift that is increasingly being validated by science. There are more than 300 peer-reviewed scientific pages in the medical literature on Adventist health. Proof. I like that. Listen to what Colin Campbell says, I'm not aware of anyone who's more important than Ellen White. Now remember Colin Campbell is a pretty well-known researcher um, and uh, actually has had about 75 to 78 years of grants that have been bequeathed to him. I mean, he's not that old. <laughs> and he's, uh, he has worked with lead researchers from Oxford and from um, China and from the United States on this particular project called the China Study that is probably the one that he's best known for. Um, that, you know, people around the world are responding to either negatively or positively, but nonetheless they're responding. I sent him some pages of Ellen White's writings on health, and that's what he said. I'm not aware of anyone who is more on point than Ellen White. Given her background, she's truly an amazing woman. I'm convinced, and listen to this, that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by the scientific evidence that has been developed during the past two to three decades. That's an amazing statement. And then he goes on, what I've come to realize to even deeply worry about is why that this message of Ellen White and others has been so mislaid on shelves out of sight. <coughs> it is abundantly clear to me, he continues, that now is the time to bring this forward in whatever way that each of us are able to do. How many think that's an amazing statement? <laughs> it is very amazing. And uh, so first, proof positive. We have proof, we have a more sure word of the spirit of prophecy. Number two, publicity. 
You know, when Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter 4, 23, He went teaching, preaching, and healing. When He began healing, what happened? People from, oh, look at it, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24. Look at it, what it says. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24. Then His fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to Him the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, apoplectics, paralytics, and He healed them. And great multitudes followed Him from Galilee, from Decapolis, that's ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Look at that. People from all over the place begin to come. So the second thing that restoration ministry does, or health ministry does, is it brings publicity. Uh, he would heal whole cities. And then first it says he, he went... He went about. And then it says, they came. In other words, at first he went, but he was so successful then that he just had to sit there. The other day after the, uh, after the AFCO to go session, we had about 85 people in AFCO to go. Um, Doug Batchelor was in the back and people were taking pictures with him. The first group says, come over here, take a picture. Then he just had to stand there and group after group came and he was just right there. Of course, Doug Batchelor is no... Jesus or anything like that. But the point, it just illustrated the point. He came and then he went first of all, but then they just came. And they just came. Now I've had kind of a little bit of that experience in churches where we've done health evangelism. Um, in one church that I was in we did 16 programs called CHIP programs. And at first we went. We worked hard. We went everywhere. But after the first program people began to just come. <laughs> we had 16 people in the first program. 12 of them were non-members. And there was a television camera that came, crew that came that night. Because I called up all the networks and said, this is the best thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, ever. <laughs> you know, these big, huge declarative statements. And I said, if you miss this, <laughs> oh, oh, don't miss it. Uh, I said, you know, the other channel's going to be here, and you don't want them to... Uh, to, you know, do you up and all this. And I sent them faxes and, and everything I could think of, you know. And so they came. Um, and they were there, and they interviewed the people in the program. They were kind of underwhelmed when they got there. There was only 16 people there. <laughs> and I said, don't, don't, don't worry, man. This is big. <laughs> this, is like, this is like plutonium. This is like uranium. This, is, this has got everything right here. I mean, it's, 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 it's thermonuclear. So they, they begrudgingly interviewed two of the people that were the, uh, you know, they interviewed them. And that night on the news, there were 10 o'clock news. They were on the news. And I was watching the news with my wife and said, look at that. This was the best ever. And there they were interviewing them. And then my wife looked at me and said, um, what if those people don't do well in the program? And I was like, what do you mean? They're going to do well. She goes, how do you know that? I said, I guess I know. She goes, I don't know about you, I'm going to slip down here on my knees and begin praying. <laughs> so she begins praying. And I'm like, I begin praying until I go, oh, Lord. You know, because basically everybody's selfish, you know. I wanted to be successful partially because I'm involved. But my wife had sophisticated things further. And, I, and we start praying, oh, for the, for the honor and glory of God, let this work. <laughs> Help them to get up and eat their flax, you know. Please, we were like sending packages to them in the mail, dropping by and saying, here, here's a little juice plus to go along with it. No, we didn't do that. But, you know, we were just like coming up and making, we just, we just did everything we could, humanly speaking. But, you know, um, it was a miracle, really. Of all the people in the 16, those two had the most radical results. And their, their lives were changed. So when they came back to do the interview, they did the interview, and they showed that on the news. And guess what happened to the next session? There were all kinds of people there because they had heard that. Um, publicity, I could tell you another story. Um, lady was in the thing. She was sitting there like a normal lady, you know. Um, and, you know, just... Just, you know, just your regular gal in the Midwest, just coming and, you know, just coming to the program, right? Wanting to, to, to dump some, some plump. So she's there and she's at the program and things are working out well for her. You know, she's happy and she's going, man, this is a great program. I'm going to tell my sister about it. I said, yes, you tell your sister. 
we're having another program. <laughs> and she says, well, my sister doesn't live here in this country. I said, okay, well, you call her on the phone then. <laughs> she goes, I think I will. So she called her on the phone. She said, my sister's really interested. And she talked to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law and my sister wants you to come over and talk to them. I said, oh, no problem. <laughs> oh, they don't live in this country, though. I said, oh, they want me to come and talk to them. Where do they live? They live in England. Where do they live in England? Oxford. What do they do at Oxford? Well, he's a professor at Oxford. I go, he's a professor at Oxford? That sounds pretty important. Well, it is. And they want to come over. So they pay my plane ticket, and I find myself going over there to Oxford from Kansas. When I got there, and then I began to think about what I was going to say, which is a little bit too late. But the point is, it was bringing publicity. It's the entering wedge. Another man came through. He was an engineer. He thought, this is a great program. You should come and talk to my company. I said, sure, I'll come and talk to your company. He goes, uh, well, you want me to tell you a bit about it? I said, don't tell me about it until about two days before because i got too much going on. Just call me back and remind me. He goes, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. He goes, all right. <laughs> You're a busy man. <laughs> he calls me back two days before. He says, I got it all set up. There's going to be 12 people from my company listening to you. I said, 12 people? How big your company? He goes, we have 20,000 people in our corporation here in Wichita. So what's the name of it? Boeing. I like freakedout.com. I said, what do I do now? I called up Dr. Mills and all my other friends, which were fast fleeing under the pressure. And we go there and make this presentation. We make the presentation. They say, we love it. Come to our company and do it for our company. I'm like, we can't do that. We only run programs for 16 people, for 20 people. <laughs> so the health message brings, it gives positive proof. Number two, it brings publicity. How many of you are thankful for that? And remember, it wouldn't have happened if there weren't people that just made Decisions based on evidence, not demonstration way back. How many of you think that's great? Yeah. Proof, publicity, number three, a platform. It's kind of related to proof and publicity, but it provides a platform for witnessing. Um, people will come to the program. You know, this, this, is ha this happened yesterday. You want something up fresh. It's not related to, uh, to health per, per se, but sort of is. We advertised AFCO to go, you know, and we talked about it on the website. It talks about a health component and all this. A lady from Las Vegas came, I understand now. I just learned this last night driving home. And she came to the program and she brought her two sons. None of them were Adventists. They saw it on 3ABN. I don't know how they happened to cross that. And I was asking a question the other day in the question and answer period. And I said, so what do you do? She goes, uh, I, I deal cards at a blackjack table. And I was like, <laughs> good one. <laughs> yes, I used to do that too. <laughs> of course I didn't, but I just was like joking. I thought she was joking with me. Comes to find out she truly is a blackjack dealer in Las Vegas. <laughs> and her two sons, all three of them were total non-Adventists. And uh, they came because they heard something about health and about the Bible, and they didn't know anything about it, and they thought, this seems like a good shot. See, what happens is when you, when you share the health message and when you share the word, People respond. People are desperate. Blackjack dealer and her two sons from Las Vegas. I'm calling her up. You know, I'm going to apologize to her. You know, she paid money to come to the thing. It wasn't what she expected. I'm going to send her some Bible studies and some DVDs and everything else. Do what I can. You know what I mean? It's luck of the draw, though. You know, you come, you just don't know what you're getting into. So it provides a platform. And it provides a platform. Uh, it, it, it clears a platform. I had one preacher. I had actually three preachers that were baptized during the time we did health things at, in, uh, in the church there in the middle of America. No, 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 no credit of our own, but just the message draws people. And, this, um, and then there were others that just used their influence. I can think of one guy's name was John Click. He was the pastor of a huge Baptist church. He came to our program. His cholesterol went down. Everything went down. Everything went down that was supposed to go down so he could get up. And uh, so uh, <laughs> I went to his church one Sunday, and I got there late, came to the front row, sat down in the front row, and uh, then he, he told the congregation, praise God, the Adventist pastor has become a Christian. 
I didn't realize it at the time, but the front row in the Baptist church is always say for those who have never accepted Christ. So he really like roasted me. You know, I was redder than a radish that had been sunburned on spring break. And uh, I was sitting there going. And, but then he invited me forward in that huge church. And he, gave, he let me have the final prayer for the people who are actually coming to Christ the first time. And of course, getting baptized. And the Baptist church, they do it rather quickly. And, uh, and then he handed, out a, he handed out recipes of lentil loaf to all the people in the church. 3,000, 7,000 people with lentil loaf recipes. You see, the health message provides platform where you can share your favorite recipe. <laughs> now, that's not just it. When he got up front, he said, I thank God for the Adventists. And uh, they can help us live longer. Um, I could tell you other stories, but I won't. So we have proof that comes from this. We have publicity that comes from this. We have a platform that's provided because of Restoration ministry, not just it is written, you've heard it said, but I say to you, not just the Bible, but the spirit of prophecy explicitly followed will provide a platform for you. The proof will be in your pudding. <laughs> the publicity will come as a result of your witness. And there will be a platform provided that leads people to the king. I remember Margie. Margie was in my first class. And they had had a special class because they didn't think I wanted. They, they were trying to bring me along. So they had a class, a chip class at 10 o'clock in the morning just for me. Because I said, I can't come in the evening. And they wanted me to sit through it. So I sat through it. And next to me sat this lady, Margie. And she was sitting, and I saw what happened in her life, and she was talking to me, and for some reason she began to like, kind of like me, you know. You know, she was talking a lot, different things, and then she goes, man, how do you eat? I said, what do you mean, how do I eat? I said, I eat, uh, <laughs> I eat, I just eat, you know, I eat. She goes, do you eat this way? And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning, yeah, I'm, I'm moving that way. I'm going. And she goes, well, I want to go see what your kitchen looks like. I said, no problem. <laughs> Come see my kitchen. She goes, well, um, you going to call your wife? I said, that'd be a good idea. So I call my wife up on the phone. I call my wife on the phone. I say, honey, we're coming home. I'm bringing Margie. She wants to see how the kitchen's set up. She goes, what? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, we're going to be there. The church was five minutes away from our house. She goes, you are not coming to the house right now. Give me a half an hour. Give me 45 minutes. Give me an hour. And I said, I can't give you an hour. I mean, she goes, you know how to talk. <laughs> keep talking. So I start, I keep talking, right? And so I'm keep talking. I'm just talking. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I said, I started my, like my alphabet, you know, what do I talk about that begins with A? What do I talk about that begins with B? You know, I'm going through the alphabet. I go through the Hebrew alphabet. I go, you know, <laughs> I'm just talking. And finally I look at the clock and I have expended myself. And it's 45 minutes later. And I can't do it for an hour. And I'm like, oh, man. And the lady's thinking, why don't you just take me to your house, you know? So I finally said, well, let's go. And she goes, yeah, let's go. You know, so we go. And we get there. She drives up. I drive up and drive up to the apartment where we lived, 2003 Main's Gate. Go in the front door. I did not recognize my apartment. <laughs> did not recognize the kitchen. I walked inside, looked inside. Kitchen's right there when you walk in. Margie comes in. I go, yeah, kitchen's right here. My wife's sitting there. She's sitting on a couch. She's trying to bask, you know, like it looks like this is the way it's always been. She's like this, you know, sitting like this with a magazine. And she goes, oh, hi. <laughs> and uh, so I said, oh, you know, Margie's here to look at the kitchen. She goes, oh, yeah, oh, that's great. It looked like a health food store. They had these canisters of oats and flax and everything else we'd been learning about in the program. Never had that before. Open up the refrigerator. Woo! And again, you know, Margie was, needless to say, impressed. I was impressed, too. I said, honey, this looks... She goes... I knew I would die if I said anything. I said, honey, it's so... So wonderful to see this beautiful, I'm sure Margie appreciates it. Margie goes, man, you're a very lucky man. I said, I know. Somehow I didn't want Margie to leave. You know, I thought I was going to be killed instantly afterwards. <laughs> but the point is that when we do health evangelism, it leads people um, to, to consider things themselves, and it helps us. It protects us. The protection that comes... It's a protection of personal health. 
Whenever I'm not involved in health programs, ongoing things, guess what? My health begins to slip. Are you thankful for how God set it up? I mean, right here, just one last story, and then we better close because we've got to start in the 10 minutes. But I'll tell you this. It's interesting. This very institution in the 1980s was doing its programs, and there was a man who vitriolically attacked the Adventist church. In fact, he wrote a book about cults, and he profiled Adventism in that book. You know, someone say, any publicity is good publicity, right? Not always necessarily true. So we were going to come out as a cult. <clears throat> he has a heart attack or has heart disease, and he decides of all the cults that he studied, the one that's going to help him the most is the Adventists. And he went right here to the New Start program. And while he was here, he saw great results. And uh, his next book didn't call Adventists a cult. I have a little quote here from someone right here on staff. It says, I was on staff at Weimar Institute in April 8, 1986 through December 1988. Walter Martin was a patient there shortly before I came. He benefited much from the New Start program and was able to get his diabetes under control with less medicine. There are pictures of him there and testimonies of his improvement. He loved Weimar and the staff who were there at the time. They did everything they could to make him feel at home. It wasn't a time to discuss God doctrine, and that wasn't done. He made friends with several Adventists in the 50s. Froome and Vandeman were his closest. And Mrs. Vandeman, would, when, he would, when he was in the Adventist hospital, he, he actually changed his diet. And Mrs. Vandeman fixed him some fake meatloaf that he admitted was the best meatloaf he ever had. Protection. So just in ending this section on restoration, Jesus' last injunction to his apostles was to lay hands on the sick that they might recover. How many think in these last days that God might be calling people to again be involved in health ministry? This is how Ellen White pictures it. Many will be rescued from physical, mental, and moral degeneracy through the practical influence of health reform. Health talks will be given. Publications will be multiplied. The principles of health reform will be received with favor and many will be enlightened. The influences that are associated with health reform will commend it to the judgment of all who want light. And they will advance step by step to receive the special truths for this time. Testimonies, Volume 6, 378 and 379. And it all started with a conversation between two young people. And they just decided to live explicitly, pay every word from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the conversation between two young people. And I pray that there'll be meaningful conversations between young people here during this weekend. We thank you, and we come in Christ's name. Amen.